thank you for joining oh. us. Um, Hallelujah. So just take it away. Amen. Amen. Father, we glorify your name. We bless you for everything you've done for us. Such a privilege to be found in such times. Such a privilege to be found with such in instruction and mandate. We declare in the name of Jesus, the Lord, Amen. we do not take lightly your voice. We do not take lightly your instruction. We do not take lightly at all this opportunity to lift up our hands to pray. Therefore, we thank you for everything you've done. Glorify your name even in this meeting one more time. Let the rains that you intended and have released over us in this mm. season be permanently nourishing, permanently moisturizing, permanently Amen. invigorating that will come to the reality of the fullness of the work that you intend for us even in this season. In Jesus' Amen. precious mighty name, glory to God. Glory to Amen. God. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 It's such a wonderful time to be a child of God, I believe, and uh, it's it's an amazing journey. I, I'm just always considering the fact that, you know, um, just as the apostles and just as uh, the apostles were faced with a pandemic of martyrdom and the children of Israel were faced with the pandemic of the serpents, uh, we too are found and chosen by God to be part of history that there were certain saints and believers that in spite of what was going around about them, were involved in constantly lifting up their voice into heaven and making intercession and preparing and readying themselves for that which God is saying. I mean, I think it's a great epic moment where, you know, the Bible said that in the book of Jude, that Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied concerning these things, saying the Lord shall return with 10,000 of the saints upon the clouds. So I, I believe that even from the very beginning of time, when God had his intimate sessions of conversations with Enoch, he told us, he told him about people like us, the saints that will come and be raptured in glory and return in majesty to exercise the dominion of Christ upon all nations. And so I believe that uh, we are part of a certain history that is beyond time. It's a history that is in eternity, a history that is wonderfully, wonderfully crafted by God himself. And so as we've been going through the entire weeks um, in the various sessions we've had with all the various speakers and men, of, men and women of God, um, and tonight I want to share something that's very crit critical. Of course, all are critical, but uh, something that's critical to put us in a place of perspective, refined, renewed, you know, quest for the Holy Spirit, refine, renewed quest for the presence of the Lord. And um, oftentimes there are three main questions that humanity is plagued with. And the questions are, where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? And uh, it's so amazing that Paul in one scripture answers this uh, interesting question that, Humanity is often plagued with. In Romans chapter 11, the verse number 26, Paul said, now for him are all things. In Romans chapter 11, the verse number 36, it says that now for him are all things. I read it. Okay, Romans 11, 36. That's it. All right. 
Now it says, for of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. For of him, through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. So where did I come from? Always uh, comes from the place of, uh, how do we call it? It's a question of heritage. Why am I here is actually a question of uh, destiny or purpose. And where am I going has to do with our destination. Where am I going has to do with our destination. And, and I want us to know that, number one, we came from him, we are here for him, and we are going to him. So the answers to these questions is, we came from him. We came from God. We are here for God. And we are going to God. We are going to the Lord himself. So once we understand this reality, that we are not here for ourselves, we did not come from a location that was far-fetched from God, neither are we ending up anywhere aside God. It puts everything we are doing in proper perspective because we know then that as the apostle said in Hebrews 11, 13, that we are strangers and pilgrims. And they seeing themselves as strangers and pilgrims did not meddle themselves with the affairs of men. And because of that, God was not ashamed to be called their God. And so once we answer these questions, we come to a reality that no matter the circumstance of our birth, no matter the situation that surrounded our coming to the earth, you know, uh, we know of the story of the Archbishop Benson Daosa, how that he was thrown out into uh, the streets as a baby, and someone still found him and brought him in to take care of him. Same with um, um, our Archbishop Nicholas Duncan Williams in Ghana, how that you know his mother tried aborting him, you know went for an operation, and though they had aborted the baby. Apparently, they were twins. So they had aborted the baby, but he was still stuck in the womb. And after nine months, he came out. So there are people that God sends to the earth, in spite of the circumstances by which they were born, in spite of the reasons surrounding their birth. We are all sporadic outbursts of divine agendas. No one of us that is called by God upon the earth is a mistake. So the only thing that makes it look like a mistake is that when the enemy comes in trying to destroy the works of God. Because of course, in scripture, Acts 15 verse 18, the Bible says that known unto God before the world are all his works. So God knows everything that concerns his works. God knows everything that concerns his works. So we must understand from this perspective, then it puts us in the right place where we assume our position, we assume our calling, we assume our assignments. That first and foremost, I come from God. That's my heritage. I am here for God. That's my purpose. I'm going to God. That's my destination. All right? So I come from God. We hail from God. We are here for God. And we are going to God. Once I answer these questions, every other thing becomes a secondary revolution by which these things and these realities are accomplished. These things and these realities are accomplished by these notions and these realities. And in Ephesians 1, as we were pre I'm talking about it last week, and we were, you know, discussing it from the scripture. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, you know, in the verse number 1, in Ephesians 1, the verse number 1, in Ephesians chapter 1, the verse number 1, 
the Apostle Paul uh, was very emphatic of that scripture and said that blessed Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are of Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from, our, from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, our calling starts by the blessedness of our God, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Now, the word all the in the Greek actually is every kind, everything, every form, every type. So we have been blessed with every kind every form, every type, everything called blessing. What this means is that from any category of blessings, we have been blessed with that blessing. We have been blessed with moral blessings. We have been blessed with character blessings. We have been blessed with material blessings. We have been blessed with emotional blessings, every type, every kind, every form of blessing. Blessed be the God who has blessed us with every kind, every type, every form of blessings in spiritual places, in heavenly places, in Christ. In heavenly places, in Christ. And, and, the, and, and the word blessed, like I said the last time, eulogia, is actually the word to speak well, eulogia. eulogia where we get the word eulogy. Okay, we get the word eulogy from blessed, eulogia. And eulogia, you know, uh, 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 um, communicates two words. It's from two words, actually. And these two words, eulogia, uh, actually, EU, which is you, and logia, which is logos, all right? EU, which is um, good or well, then logos is words, okay? EU, which is good, and the word logos, which is words. So it's from two words, EU, good, and logos, which is words. So to be blessed, the word blessed is the word eulogetos, okay? But the blessing... The blessings here is the word eulogia, and it's from two words, eu, good, or well, and logia, which is the word logos. So in other words, when you transliterate it and bring it to the literal, it now sounds that well-spoken, well-spoken, be the God who has well-spoken of us with all spiritual well-spokenness in heavenly places in Christ. Well-spoken be the God who has well-spoken of us with all, every kind, every form, every type of well-spokenness in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that's the meaning of the word to be spoken of. You know, and God spoke well of us. God spoke well of us. Before we came to the earth, God spoke well of us. And we have to understand that because, you see, when God spoke well of us, you know, and, and scripture says in the same uh, vein in Ephesians 1 verse 4, according to as he has chosen us in him, okay, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, the word chosen here is also the word, you know, to call out, okay? It's the word ekkatalego. Ekkatalego actually implies that to call out, to call out or to speak out, 
All right? So God chose us by calling us out. And the calling out here is not like calling your name. It's like speaking us forth. So our choosing was by the speaking forth of God. You know, God chose us by the speaking forth of his word before the foundation of the world. Before the foundations of the world. So we were well spoken of before we came. Every blessing, everything, every form was well spoken of before we showed up upon the scene. And God did all of this, the Bible says that, and chose us in him before the foundations. And the foundation here is the word katabole. And katabole is not the word, the, the, the Greek has two words, major words for foundation, temelios and katabole. Now, katabole is actually reference to the falling or the overthrow of Lucifer. So God spoke well of us, way, not even before he created Adam, way before Lucifer committed treason in heaven and was cast from glory. God had already well spoken of us. That's why last week I mentioned that when Lucifer wanted to ascend into the throne of God, now there was something that God had created and Lucifer saw it. So Lucifer said, I will be like God. I will be like the Most High. I will sit in the congregation of the gods. And according to the Hebrew translation, the word for gods actually always connotes the uh, uh, description of uh, 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 the, the, the word for angels actually is connoted by the word sons of God, Benai Elohim. So the Benai Elohim actually is the description of the angels. So he didn't say, I will be like the sons of God. He says, I will be like the gods. I'll be like God and I'll enter the congregation of the gods. So already when Lucifer in Isaiah chapter 14 verse 12 down to 14 was making his declarative intent, all right? And, and that's a different um, sermon altogether, uh, but I just chip it in so it can bless somebody. That even Lucifer understood the principle of confession. Because you see, for Lucifer to ascend a throne in the realm of the spirit, he couldn't do it without declaring it. The mistake we do as believers is that we think that declaration is just an aspect of our Christian life. We do not understand that it's the formative capacity and element that gives us entrenched realms to be able to invoke in truth into dimensions. So for Lucifer to enter the dimension of God, he has to declare it because the dimensions were created by words. So he needs words to also create loopholes in the dimension and it needs words to also contort, distort, and deform a dimension. So when Lucifer came to fight Adam in the garden, he couldn't come with a sword, a spear. He had to use words. So he started by saying, has God said? So by using words, he could distract a realm so he could intrude into the realm of man. So the point is this. For Lucifer to ascend or enter any realm, that is why today, once you are born again, you are in the realm of glory. You are in the realm of his marvelous life. But he cannot get you to sin without communicating his intentions, without lying to you with words, without deceiving you with words, so he cannot access into your realm. So this is the point. For even Lucifer to ascend the throne of God, Lucifer had to say, I will be like the Mosai. Now look at all the descriptions he gave, and I'll be like God, and I will sit among the congregation of God. And this was the blueprint that God had for Adam. Why? When God created Adam, he said, and God made Adam in his likeness and his image. So Lucifer had seen that God was about to create an entity that is like the Most High, that will be seated in the congregation of the gods, that is going to be like God. 
and he saw it and began to make declarations so he could access that blueprint and bible says of course we know the story as he was going about it he was dethroned but the point i'm trying to put across is this that god in the eternities had created a blueprint for a people called the gods psalm 82 said it and jesus confirmed that have i not said as it is it said is it not written that ye are gods ye are gods and yet ye would die like mere men so in other words there was a blueprint to create certain entities called the gods and these gods lucifer saw it and realized that i want to be part of the congregation of those people called the gods. Why? Because according to what scripture had said in Ephesians 1.4, God had already called us out. God had already called us forth. God had already spoken well of us in every department, in every sphere, in every dimension of our lives. So he blessed us, well spoke of us with every kind, every type, every form of well-spokenness. And Bible says he did all of that and called us out before the overthrow of Lucifer. So whilst Lucifer was planning his attempt and coup d'etat, God had already arranged for a people who would be like him, a people who would look like him, a people who would be part of the council of the heavenlies and part of the congregation of the gods. And Lucifer saw it and began to try to speak himself there because in the realm of the spirit, it is how well you speak that determines what access you get. Uh, it's how well you speak that determines what access you get. Adam could not be Adam until God blessed him. Now I ask myself a simple question. How come after God created Adam, he didn't leave Adam to toil and work and decide what he wanted to do? But Bible says that, and the Lord God blessed Adam. And when God blessed Adam, what it implied was that God spoke well of Adam. And the speaking well of Adam implied that anything Adam did, anything Adam wanted, anywhere Adam wanted to go, whatever he has told Adam he can do and must do, by the well-speaking of God, it was going to be possible. It was going to be real. It was going to come to pass. And so we have been well-spoken of from the foundations of the world. We have been spoken forth, you know, uh, you know we have been spoken forth and called out. God spoke us out and we showed up. God spoke us out and we showed up. And strangely enough, in Hebrews chapter 11, the verse number one, it said, by faith we understand. You know, he says that our faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. By it we understand that the realms or the worlds were framed by the word of God. By it the elders obtained a good report. And by it we understand, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. The worlds were framed by the word of God. The apostle is trying to tell us that there are certain things reason cannot understand. There's another instrument, another organ for understanding in certain high matters in the spirit. And that organ is called the organ of faith. It said, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And the word framed there is the word to fashion a thing that is going to be subservient to purpose. To fashion a thing that is subservient to purpose, that subserves a purpose. To fashion a thing that is subservient or subserves a purpose. Yet, we have many words for the word worlds. So we understand that the worlds were fashioned, subservient to the purpose. You know, subservient to purpose. Now, 
we understand from scripture also that the word worlds oftentimes in the bible uh, is used sometimes as cosmos other times as aeon and other times also as ecumeni but in this regard the scripture does not use the word cosmos no cosmos has to do with arrangement but in this regard the scripture uses the word aeons aeons and the word aeons here communicates age it communicates ages it communicates ages it communicates time frames it's not talking about solar systems it's not talking of the sun and the galaxies it's talking about aeons but aeon actually has to imply a differential in periodic times a succession of moments differences in ages and the course of history it is the manner of behavior in a civilization so bible says interestingly that before the world was created god even went ahead to frame the behaviors of dispensation the behaviors of times the behaviors of seasons the behaviors of the course of the age he went ahead of time to create a behavior in the first century from the second century the third century god spoke what should happen in all those centuries god spoke how people should serve him how nations should live in all those centuries now up to the 21st century god was speaking different things into the centuries how school should be and everything that is involved in the entire dispensation and the course of the age so from the first century right down to the 21st century god spoke everything out in details god spoke everything out in details and described its dimension by dimension life set by life set this became the definition of the course of life the happenings and the happenstances of situations over time and and, and, and all i'm trying to say is this, that the, the 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 reality of it is that when god did all this god actually spoke the friends you meet god spoke the vicinity you stay in god spoke the country you'll be born in he determined all these things as part of the framing of the worlds by his word he framed your world before you came to existence and and of course the fact that bad things happen and situations don't go the way we want them to go must inform us that an enemy an evil one is involved and our will because sometimes god tells you to do a you want to do b our will also contradicts the intentions of the well speakings of god but god speaks well and the well speaking of god is the means by which our life and our existence is framed with wellness towards his purpose. It's framed with wellness towards his purpose. So, so to frame is to fashion according to his purpose, to fashion to serve his purpose, to fashion to serve his purpose. So I'm saying this to get us to get to this revelation and intention that anytime our schooling, anytime our relationship, anytime our marriage, our businesses, aren't serving the agenda of God, we have strayed away from the frame of God. The framing of God is for everything to be designed to serve him. He designed your marriage, designed your relationship, designed the business you started. The, the everything was the friendship designed to serve him, all right? And to serve his intended purpose and his, 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 his agenda that he created man for, all right? So when God created man, like, like we understood from last week, I said that God created man for three major things. Number one, for his glory. Number two, for his 
praise. Number three, for his service. Man was created for glory, for the praise, and for the service of God. Man was created for his glory, for his praise, and for the service of God. And like I shared last week, I don't know if I shared it last week, but I go through it quickly. And I, I end on something that's very important for us to become a mindset and a foundation for the way we do things and the way we carry out ourselves. Very important thing. Now, we were made for his glory. And the, 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 the dimension, according to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7. Isaiah 43, verse 7. All right. Isaiah 43, verse 7. It says that even man whom he has made for his glory, he created him, he formed him, and made him. So man was made for his glory. Everything about man is made for his glory. Even everyone that he has called by his name. For I have created him for my glory. I have formed him. Yea, I have made him. I have created him for my glory. I have formed him. Yea, I have made him. When God did all this, man was made for his glory. And what was this glory we are talking about? In context, the glory we are referring to According to what scripture says, Romans 8 and says that now the endless expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. Because creation itself was not made subject to vanity willingly, but by reason of the same that has subjected him into hope. All right? That by this hope that he has subjected him into creation into, creation is groaning that it might be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. Romans 8, 19 to 21. Creation is groaning that it might be delivered. It's pained until now that it might be delivered from the bondage of corruption. That it might be released into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. All right. So what we are talking about in terms of glory here is this. Now, Colossians chapter 3 says that, Now, if you therefore be risen with Christ, set your affections on things above and not on things beneath. He said, where Christ is seated heavenly in the heavens. Then he comes to say, set your affections on things above and not on things beneath. Know ye not that ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. In verse 4 of Colossians 3 says, Now when Christ who is alive shall appear, then shall we appear with him in glory. When Christ who is alive shall appear, then shall we appear with him in glory. When Christ who is alive shall appear, then shall we appear with him in glory. So in other words, from this scripture, we understand that God's life is the glory within us. God's strength, riches, abundance is his glory inside us. It is the manifestation of the life of God. It is the revealing of the life of God that becomes the glory that scripture is talking about. That this is what God has called us for. That we reveal God's life. That we reveal, listen, now, we reveal God's life form. There's a life form that is upon the earth. But the genetics and the scientific intelligence of the day cannot deduce the life form. Now, beloved, now are we the sons of God. He says, what manner of love has the Father bestowed on us that we should become children of God? First John 3, verse 1, almost. Then he said, beloved, now are we the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be like. But when we shall see him, then we shall be like him. In other words, as we walk, you see Adam walking. He looks visceral. He looks mortal. He looks frail. He looks flesh and blood. But something is happening inside him. And there is no scientific instrument. In fact, it's so serious that you find a Christian goes to the hospital and they are telling him he has all sorts of diseases. The fact that he carries diseases in his body does not mean that he's a diseased person. 
Because the reality is that his genetic code has not been fully over. It's not been fully activated to overwhelm the container that he's wearing as a garment. That is his flesh in this case. So, beloved, what we are, the world does not know yet. Bible says there's coming a day that will be a grand unveiling. There's coming a day that will be a grand manifest, a grand revealing. But prior to that time, God is gathering an army to show the first fruit of his intended assignment, first fruit of his intended job, first fruit of his intended glory, even upon the face of the earth. And interestingly, 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 he says that when Christ who is alive shall appear, then shall we appear with him in glory. Because this is the reality. Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Christ is in us, the hope of glory. We are men, and man, man was created in the image and likeness of God. Why? So we could reveal God. We were created in God's image and likeness so we could reveal God. The revealing of God and his life and his life form and ability is the glory we are talking about. So you and I were created to reveal God's life and glory. We were created to re re release and reveal God's life and God's glorious in, uh, 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 uh. in fact, that's what scripture says in, 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 in the book of Philippians chapter 2 verse, verse, verse 14, that do all things without memories and complainings or disputings. It said that he might be blameless and harmless. And people, sons of God, in a crooked and perverse generation, of whom ye shine as lights, and he was talking about the lights that bring forth. So he says in Matthew 5, that let your light so shine before men that all men might see the good works of thy father. Matthew 5, 13 and 14. All men might see the good works of your father. In other words, they are setting things about our father. There is a life our father has given us, which is God, that is in us. It is in the shining forth of it that shows the glory for which we're called. Man was created in the image and likeness of God. So that God could fill man. So that man is not man when God has not filled him. If a man does not carry God, he has not yet entered the realms of glory. He has not yet entered the purpose of glory. He must be created. And when he was created, he was created for the intention to reveal and bring forth and bring God out to this crooked and perverse generation. So unless a man is living in God, working in God, expressing God, he has not come to the full assignment of the glory God intended for him. Glory is not a halo that comes upon our head. Glory is not our face shining. Glory is actually living out God's life, expressing God's intention, God's life. When Christ lives through us, sees through our eyes, walks with our hand, uh, with our feet, and touches with our hands, kneels with our knees in prayer, this is where we have entered glory because he wants to reach the world through us. He wants to touch the world through us. He wants to heal the world through us. And that's what scripture says in Colossians 1.27. To whom God will make known what is the mystery of these riches among the Gentiles. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16, that he had the temple of the Holy Ghost. He said, as it is written, he has said, I will dwell in them. I will dwell in them and I will walk in their midst. What he meant was, the, the, he will walk in our midst is not walk in the congregation. No, he will walk in our midst means that God will walk in Adam. God will walk in Adam. God will walk in Adam. As he said in scripture in 2 Corinthians 5, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's what God wants to do. God wants to put his hand in my hand and move. To, that is the glory we are talking about. So I'm created for this assignment. I'm created for this assignment. And of course, we touched on the praise last week. 
a little bit of the praise last week. In Psalm 8, the reason why God created us, but, uh, you know, in, in, in the book of Psalms, the chapter number 8, the verse 1, the Bible says that, Oh Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thy enemies, that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. And I was sharing that when God created us for praise, it was because something had occurred in the heavens. Something had occurred in the heavens. And what had occurred in the heavens was this. There were, there, were, there, were, there were three departments in the heavens, basically. Because the Bible says in Revelation 12 and Isaiah that the enemy, the, 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 the serpent, deceived one third of the stars. And the stars here speaks about the angels. Of course, the Bible calls them in some, um, Job 38, verse 7. Job 38, verse 7, as the morning stars that sang in glory. Job 38, verse 7, morning stars that sang in glory. Now, these stars actually speaks of angels. And Bible says that Lucifer deceived one third of them. Now, if you look at scripture well, there are three major departments in the scriptures. Okay, we have number one, the ministering angels, which is headed by angel Gabriel. We have the fighting warfare angels headed by angel Michael. Then we have the singing angels. Angels in charge of praise and worship, that is Lucifer. Okay, that is Lucifer. Now, these are the three main angels that were in charge of heaven's administration. And the Bible says, once upon a time, in the angels of, 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 of songs were actually uh, those under the charge of Lucifer. Because the Bible says in Ezekiel 28 that the day he was made, all the musical instruments were found in his body. So Lucifer was a walking orchestra, okay? The pipes, the tablets, all were found in Lucifer. And Bible says that he operated at a certain dimension of glory, a certain dimension of beauty. But something happened. When war broke up in heaven, Lucifer took one third of the angels. All the, in fact, if you read scripture in Deuteronomy, sorry, in Job chapter 38, verse 7, Bible says that uh, 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 the morning stars sang in glory. When the foundations of the earth was laid, he said, where were you? When the morning stars did sing in glory, when the Lord laid the foundations of the earth. And the when morning stars there in the Latin Bible, actually is the word Lucifer, Lucifer. So it's actually a title. Lucifer is a title. So it says that the, the Lucifer sang in glory when the foundations of the earth was laid. So all the angels in the camp and the Jews and, the, and, the, and under the command of um, Lucifer, which is Satan, and, uh, were all called Lucifers, and they all were in charge of singing. These were the angels in charge of singing. Now, I, I'll explain further. If you read the Bible, Bible says that, and the angels praise the Lord, saying, angels don't sing, save for the angels that were in charge of singing. That was Lucifer. All other angels praise the Lord, saying, remember when, in the days of uh, Jesus' birth, yes, the angels... Praise the Lord, saying, and they said, peace be unto earth. Peace be unto the earth. So the angels praised the Lord, saying, not singing. Because something had happened in the heavens. The department for singing and worship was actually in the charge of Lucifer. 
Then Lucifer deceived one third of the angels and took the praise of God from the heavenlies. So God, in a way, lost his praise. God, in a way, lost his praise and worship. And when he lost it, the Bible said that God has set his glory above his heavens. And verse 2 says, so that in the mouth of babes and sucklings, he used the word babes and sucklings because when you read it from the, the, the Abu Shalabaketos Pregese, when you read it from the Passion Translation, it puts it very beautifully, you know, and it's amazing in some, some eight, verse number two, he speaks about how God has ordained praise in the mouth of weaklings. He says in some eight, the verse number two. All right, all right. All right, let me read it from the message translation instead. Message translation instead. Message translation says, Nursing infants gaggle choruses about you. Toddlers shout the songs that drown out enemy talk and silence atheist babble. So he says that nursing infants, so he's depicting humanity because you see angels, according to Psalm 103, verse 20, excel in strength. So Comparing angels to man, man is like a baby. Man is like a, and he's, he, of course, when he says babes and sucklings, he's, com, he's communicating the, the fragility of humanity. That man is fragile. Man is, uh, you know, it's not, it's, it's, it's like a baby. It's like a suckling. Bible says, yet God has ordained strength in our mouth to steal the avenger, to silence his accusation. And that's what God did for man. So anytime, and if you read scripture very well, the first time a song was sung is in Exodus 15. And Bible says, Miriam led Israel to sing the song of Moses. He has become our salvation. In Numbers chapter uh, 20, 20, 22, Bible says, another song was sung where Miriam stood at the well and said, oh well, oh well. They began to sing again. But David in his day restored the priestly causes, continuous praise of God. And so anytime God is looking for praise, he comes to the earth. And of course, Matthew 21 verse 16 speaks about it. It says, in the mouth, as it is written, in the mouth of babes, out of the mouth of babes and sacrifices, thou hast ordained and perfected praise. It is the perfected praise that is ordained strength. So anytime you are weak, brother, sister, your purpose, anytime you feel contradicted, anytime you feel paradoxical in the things God has said to you that you are not seeing come to pass, it's an agenda of Satan to take away the praise God needs, to take away the praise due God. But the moment in the paradoxical situation, circumstances that are horrible, situations that are bad, we find our mouths to praise. Then we become babes, helpless beings that have actually activated strength in our helplessness to praise and declare to God. But lastly, he says that we are also created to serve God. We are created to serve God. We are created to serve God. I'm saying all of this to put us in perspective. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, Lo Baba, Shandelebekesh. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, the verse number 9, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says that ye are a chosen generation. Ye are a chosen generation. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the verse number 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness unto his marvelous light. That we should show forth the praises of him 
who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And beloved, this is the dimension of revelation that we must come to to understand that first and foremost, we are a chosen generation. We are a lineage from God. We are a royal priesthood. We are in service to God. We are a holy nation. We are a community for God. We are a peculiar people. We are precious to God. Let me say it again. We are a chosen generation because we are the lineage of God. We are a royal priesthood because we are in service to God. We are a holy nation because we are in community with God. And we are peculiar people because we are precious to God. Now, our chosenness in this scripture, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, speaks of how that God went round and decided, of course, 1 Peter 1, verse 23 says, 1 Peter 1, 23 says, now, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, the word of God that lives and abides forever. And interestingly, uh, 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 every human being proceeds from the word that was used here, the word seed. The word seed here in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Latin is the word spermata. Greek says sperma. So we have been born of incorruptible sperma. And what it means is this, that as the human sperm determines the various genetic components of a human being, his hair color, his height, his skin complexion, and all the likes, it's the same way he's saying that this human genetic composition, Bible says we are not born, we are not born again by this human genetic composition, but we are born again by the incorruptible sperma, which is the word of God that lives and abides forever. It means that our genetic composition has immortality woven in it. Our genetic makeup is a specialized genetic coding by God. In other words, that makes us realize that God who is not composed and has no constitution is the constituent of our very existence as children of God. God is our constitution. God is our composition. We are made from God himself. We are made from God himself. So you must understand what is going on, that we are not made from human spermata. Our birth is not from the natural. Our birth is from the supernatural. We have been regined by God. So if a man gives his characteristics of heredity to his child through his sperm, likewise, God also communicates Godhood, the God life through the sperm of God, which is the word of God. So the word of God is the sperm of God. And that's why the Bible says in Luke chapter uh, uh, 1, when the word of God came to Mary, the Bible says when Mary said, be it unto me according to your word, the Bible said the spirit overshadowed Mary, the mighty came upon her, and she took in seed. Because that is the sperm of God. What it means to say is, that, beloved, this is the foundation of oppression. Anytime we believe God's word, there is a supernatural insemination. And that pregnancy in the spirit is going to produce a thing. And I like what the Bible says. He looked at the one from 30 downwards. He said to her, and ye shall be with child. And the child ye shall be with is a holy thing. In other words, the moment I, I get infused and impregnated by the word of God, anything that comes out of the blessing of the word of God is a holy thing. 
It's a glorious thing. It's a powerful thing, and it's a God thing. The moment the word of God becomes the basis for blessing, that thing that is birth is always from the realm of God. It will live as God, will outlast conditions that are not favorable to it in this realm, and even over, uh, outlive because it's an eternal seed by which this thing was born. And I like what the scripture says, that we have been washed by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. My nature, my virtues, my attributes, and the characteristics of God are all woven into the seed that gave birth to me. I'm a chosen generation. I'm a chosen generation. In the, in the, in the scientific dimension where you are trying to produce a certain kind of, you know, it, it's called genetic engineering. You are trying to produce a certain kind of being or creature. You actually select the best genes. And according to scripture also, the engrafted life often, you know, the Bible says we have been engrafted into the life of God. Now, the principle of grafting is, you know, you can mix orange with tangerine. And, you know, you, you begin to have orange having the same um, digit, uh, uh, digits or the, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, kennels, just like tangerine. Because you have done a genetic engineering. You can mix watermelon with orange. And you realize that you cut the orange into two and the orange looks red like watermelon. And the reason for this is this, that in the principle of grafting, the creature with the least dominant gene, the creature with the least, uh, 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 what do you call it, beneficial traits, is swallowed up by the creature or the entity that has a higher, most beneficial trait. So whatever is beneficial is what is put on the table at, grafting, at the grafting process. The Bible says that once we have been grafted into the life of God, brothers and sisters, we have been subsumed with the better qualities of God. We have been supernaturally superimposed by the superior genes of God. So that now whatever is a weak gene in me, is swallowed up by the supernatural genes of God. And I cannot fail. I cannot fail in this life. I cannot fail in this life. And Bible also said, Luke 8, the Bible calls the word of God the seed of God. So obviously, the word is a seed. The word is a seed. We don't come from the earth. We hail from above. According to Philippians 3.20, it says that our citizenship is from heaven. And we know that to be born in any nation makes you a citizen by birth. And Bible says, because we have been born by the word of God, born in the presence of God, our citizenship is from heaven. And James said that by his own free will has he begotten us, that we may be a kind, a species, the beginning, the reproduction of a new species of people who are called into the mystery. Listen, we have, oh, 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 oh. We have so much that we are not taking advantage of. I was telling some people recently that the most sacred thing you can ever receive in this life is for the Holy Ghost to find you trustworthy for a conversation. Can you imagine God deciding to come to talk to you that I want to tell you something about your family? I want to, I want to do something in your nation, so I, I want to have a meeting with you so that you can do... Can you imagine the entire boss of the universe and galaxies deciding to come and whisper in your ears that can I spend some two minutes with you talking about the business you're about to enter into? There are some things I want to show you. And we take it lightly and think it's normal because we don't understand that it is a special kind of choosing. We are a chosen generation. We are first fruits. We are the best fruits. We are the best out of what God decided to do. And brothers and sisters, once we can understand this, that we are chosen generation, a lot of things change. A lot of things change. No matter your genetic malfunctions, no matter what is going wrong in your body, 
you have to understand that we have received the palingenesia, the regeneration of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God gives us God-like traits, God-like capacities. It says that we might be, it says, and therefore has given us exceeding great and precious promises that we might be partakers, we might be associates, we might be participants, we might be communal inheritors of the God life. We work with the God kind of life and ability. Oh, the God kind of life and ability. 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 He said we are the workmanship of God. We are the work, oh, we are the workmanship of God, created in him unto every good work. Created in him unto every good work. Do you know that that workmanship is the masterpiece of God? The literal Greek actually says, ye are the poema. Poema means we are God's poem. The church, the believer is the poem of God. In other words, when a poem is read, it is just a nostalgic emotion that is released, a lovable emotion that is released. We are God's poem. When God hears the church, he even made the church, according to Ephesians 3.10, the university for training and instructing angels and demons. He said that we may show the multifaceted wisdom of God to principalities, to powers, to all witchcraft spirits by us. The church is the university of God. The church is the university of God to principalities and demons to learn the many-sided wisdom of God. And it's a glorious thing for us to come to this revelation. So if the world is looking for a revelation to know God, to see God, to understand God, to see and experience revival, that revival of the world starts with the revival of the believer. If the believer will understand that I'm a chosen generation, I'm apart from this generation, I don't work with this generation. He says, he says something very interesting. That in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, that do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, when I read this thing before, I was wondering, on, he said, do not be, un, I, it could have read, do not be equally yoked with unbelievers. But he used a certain adjective, do not be unequally. So it's a do not negative, unequally, on unequally yoked with unbelievers because he was making reference to something very interesting from scripture. According to Deuteronomy chapter 22, there's the principle of the unequal yoke. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, there is the law of unequal yoking where a donkey cannot be yoked with an ox. An ass cannot be yoked with an ox. The ox was the beast of burden. The ox was a clean animal. It chewed the cart. But the Donkey was not clean. Though it split the hoof, it didn't chew the card. The ox splits hoof and chews card. But the, the, what do you call it? The donkey or the ass does not chew the card, yet it splits the hoof. So there's, the Bible says in Psalm 28, from verse 6, that we are, not supposed to be, we are not supposed to yoke a donkey with an ox. And that's the principle of an unequal yoke. So it says the believer is the ox. The unbeliever is the donkey. Or the ass, according to what he's talking about here from scripture. So you don't do that on equal yoke. Now, the reason is this in the principle of yoking, according to Matthew 11 28 and 29, it says that learn of me, my, my, my burden is easy, my, uh, my, my, my weight is light. Then it says that my yoke is light, my burden is easy. Then it says that it's a yoking life that we have with Jesus Christ, according to Matthew 11 28 and 29. The moment we are yoked with Jesus Christ, the principle of yoking was this. Now, when they yoked creatures in the days of the 
uh, what do you call it, the Jews. What happened was that they put the yoke on an elderly ox and paired that elderly ox to a young ox. So the young ox or the upcoming ox is paired up with the experienced elderly ox. So that what happens is this, the experienced elderly ox has learned over time the way to plow, the way to move over the plow, the way to respond to the hissings and the shoutings of a shepherd. As it moves around in that way, you realize that the plowing process is done by experience. But this young ox has no idea what is going on. It would like to rest. It would like to run away. It would like to go and chew grass while it's supposed to be plowing. But the experienced ox, ox yoked with the younger ox will cause the experienced ox, when he's moving, will force the inexperienced ox to begin to move. In fact, that's why we get the word stiff-necked. Stiff-necked means that the experienced one is moving, but the younger one does not want to move. But in this case, this is how Jesus yokes us. Jesus is God. Jesus is the experienced one. We being yoked with the Lord is the Lord is the experienced one, and we are now learning the life of God. So as the Lord moves and we move with him, we come to a certain place of education and imprinting of the life form, life patterns of that which the Lord has in our lives. So a yoking actually has to do with an experienced ox and an inexperienced ox. So that with time, when the experienced ox is dead, the inexperienced ox would have now gained experience to now pass it to another inexperienced ox. That is the yoking principle of, uh, of, the, of the believer. But he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And in Psalm 1, he says, verse 1, blessed is the man that does not sit in the council of the ungodly, nor walketh in the way of sinners. He's not saying, he's not saying that we shouldn't have friends who are unbelievers. No, that's not what he's saying. Because if you read scripture, Abraham had Abimelech as a friend and a business partner. Abraham had Abimelech, a friend and a business partner. But he's saying, do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. As a chosen generation, we cannot walk in the counsel, the counsel, the advice, the ideas, the suggestions of unbelievers. We cannot walk in the way of sinners. How sinners do things shouldn't be how we do things. If the world is dishonoring parents, dishonoring authority, insulting pastors, we cannot join in. Even if we don't agree to a pastor, we cannot join in because that's the way of the sinner and that's the counsel of the ungodly. Of course, people make mistakes. David made mistakes. Solomon made mistakes. But that's in the justice and purview of God. It's not our business. Our business is we don't walk in the way of sinners. We don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. So there's a way we pattern our lives. If anyone is insulting, we don't put ourselves in our fray to and get there and get dirty with, with, with people. So everything we do is according to the experience of the Lord that we learn from that yoke. So that's what he's talking about here. That's what he's talking about here. That's what he's talking about here. So, but the, 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 then he says we are also a royal priesthood. We are also a royal priesthood. And our royal priesthood is our service to God. Our royal priesthood is our service to God. Our royal priesthood is our service to God. Ours isn't after the Levitical priesthood. It's after the Melchizedekian priesthood. We have received the priesthood of Melchizedek. It is a priesthood of the order of kings and priests. 
We are not, listen, it's a priesthood that has double speaking authority. In the kingship, Bible says where the word of the king is there, there is power. But there's a thing the, priest, the king cannot do. That is to settle controversies. It was usually left, you know, matters of adjudication and uh, 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 morality and spirituality was left for the priest. But the Bible is saying that we are a royal priesthood. We have a combination of the priest and the king in this assignment of our service. Deuteronomy 21, 7 says, in the mouth of the priest, every matter brought before him, every controversy brought before him is settled. Because king priests have double speaking power. 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 And this is what I want us to get to, that we understand that he has brought us to a place of service, a place of ministry, a place of ministering to the Lord, a place of bringing ourselves to the understanding of the service of God. Because according to 1 Peter chapter 1, the verse number 12, 1 Peter 1, 12, it says that, unto whom it was revealed, not unto themselves, but unto us who, that did minister the things which are now reported unto you by that which we have preached the gospel unto you, that the Holy Ghost, which with the Holy Ghost sent down from above, and the things which the angels desire to look into. Angels are not giving the assignment to preach. Beloved, according to what the scripture is saying, there are things that God has given us the royal priesthood that angels are desiring to look to, into. Angels don't have the grace to preach. According to Matthew 13, verse 39, they are reaper angels that go to announce to people where the gospel is being preached. They gather people for us, for us to preach to. They gather people for us, for us to preach to. They gather people for us, for us to preach to. So what I'm saying is this, that we have received an assignment as king priest with the message of preaching, with the message of delivering the gospel. Psalm 22 prophesies saying, a seed shall serve him. A seed. Psalm 22, verse 30, a seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. And he's talking about the church. They shall come and shall declare the righteousness unto a people that shall be born. And he, and he said that he had done this. He said, it shall be declared unto a people that shall be born, the righteousness of God, that God has done this. God has made a certain people his righteousness. We have received a priesthood to declare the righteousness of God. Romans 1, 16 and 17, he says, that, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, for therein is the power of God revealed from faith to faith. It said that therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. There is a gospel we have received. There is a preaching of the word we have received, and it is the assignment of king priests. We decree to destroy Satan's assignment against people, and we enter mitigations, and we enter... Cessations of attack and onslaught in the realm of the spirit in our priesthood. So we have to understand that this is our service, and the whole world is relying on us. The world looks to nations and governments. God looks to us, the church. We are the reason why the world is where it is today. And I pray that from today we understand our fourfold calling, that we are not just a chosen generation, special stock, special genetic stock from God that he scientifically and supernaturally arranged for our, 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 our existence, but we are also a royal priesthood that has been chosen for an assignment to do the king priest assignment 
to do the king priest work because we must understand this. Number one, our priesthood is a picture of total abandonment to God. Now, in the Old Testament, when a priest was chosen, he abandoned assignment, abandoned family, and was just dedicated to God in the service of God. That was actually priesthood in the day. So the priest was not found mingling and running around with everybody. No. The priest was not even found going to the farm. The priest's whole assignment was the tabernacle. His whole life was God's work. So priesthood connotes total abandonment to the work of God. Total abandonment to the work of God. And of course, when we say the work of God, clearly, clearly, according to 2 Chronicles 3, 17, we understand that mm. there were two pillars that were used in the temple of Solomon. And this pillar of the temple of Solomon was connotative of the end time church assignment. The end time assignment. And this end time assignment of the church is going to be supported by two pillars. It's going to be supported by two pillars. It said by Boaz and by Jacqueline. By Boaz and by Jacqueline. By Boaz and by Jacqueline. These two pillars are the means by which the church in the end time was supported. It was supported by Boaz and by Jacqueline. Second Chronicles 3, verse 17. So Jacqueline was the priest. Boaz was the businessman. Second Chronicles 3, 17. Jacqueline was the priest. Boaz was the businessman. Jacqueline was the priest. Boaz was the businessman. So when we talk about the temple, we talk about God's work. But in the temple, there were two major pillars. And according to what scripture said in the book of Galatians, it says that, you know, and even the book of Acts also, it says that, and when James and John, these and Peter, who seemed to be pillars in the church, came to Jerusalem, Galatians chapter 2, Galatians 2, it says that the James, John, Peter, who came from Jerusalem, these seemed to be pillars. And the word pillars connotes leadership. So in the last day church, leadership is going to be both the priesthood and the business sector. So without the priesthood, the business sector leadership will not work in the church. And without the business sector um, leadership, the priesthood leadership will also not work in the church. So when we talk about priesthood, we are not talking about just the five-fold mainstream apostolic callings and all that. We are talking about businessmen and women who are nameless and faceless apostles sent into marketplaces to make disciples for Jesus Christ. But this is the goal. As they go there, they are totally abandoned to the work of God. Number two, they totally live in his presence. So whether they are in a car, whether they are in a conference, press soiree, a party, send-off party, a cocktail, whatever it is, every second, every moment of their actions, in every simple action of their life, is revolving and compassed round about the presence of God and much more around the presence of the working of God's divine kingdom systems. And once we come to that revelation, we begin to see this reality. We begin to see this reality because it says in Colossians 4.17, say to Archippus that the ministry he has received in his hand, he sees to it that he fulfills it. Archippus was the son of Philemon. Philemon was the house, Philemon's house was the house where the church of Colossae met. So the Colossian church met in the house of Philemon. Archippus was the biological son of Philemon. The founder of the church of Colossae was the man called Epaphras or Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. Epaphras or Epaphroditus was the pastor or founder of the church in Colossae. But the church was held in the household of Philemon, whose biological son was Archippus, and whose runaway slave was Onesimus. All right? So 
there is something happening here. He says, um, say to Archippus that he take heed to the ministry which he has received in the Lord. And this is our royal priesthood. We have all received ministries in the Lord. We have all received ministries in the Lord. Now, the Bible speaks about Abiathar, Abiathar in Mark chapter 2, from verse 15 downwards. How that in the days of David, in the days of Abiathar, he received David in the temple of God and offered communion and bread and gave him a sword when Saul was pursuing David. You'll be surprised that even this simple act of service became recognized by God even in all ages. Zadok was the priest in the time of David. And you know, God recognizes the service of Zadok to the extent that in the millennial reign, when David is king, Zadok will be the high priest. In, he didn't choose Aaron. He didn't choose Eliezer. Neither did he choose Phinehas. He didn't choose Ithamar. He chose Zadok to be the priest in the kingdom era. Because there's something about faithfulness that's very important. According to 2 Corinthians 4, you know, 1 Corinthians 4, the verse number 2, that every steward, it is, it is required of every steward to be found faithful. It is required of every steward to be found faithful. Oba, is dedicated to be found faithful, to be found faithful, to be found faithful. And the word required there is a forensic terminology that is used for a special investigation that is sent out with a special team to check out every line, every requirement required for a person to pass a test. So he's saying that before God even finds you faithful, he investigates your life. He investigates how you talk to people. He investigates what your contemplations in your heart is. He investigates how you treat even people who are not known. He investigates your speech. He investigates your use of money, your use of time. He investigates whether you do what you say you do. That is what the Bible is talking about. It is required of every steward to be found faithful. And that requirement is a very high requirement that comes from a daily, daily walking. It's not how much you pick the microphone. It is the preparation to the picking of the microphone that is required in this assignment. So that you understand that if the preparation is higher than the ministration, then you understand that when someone holds a mic to minister and prophesy, God does not look at that action per se. It looks at the preparation leading to the action of ministering. That is what God honors. In that same vein, if somebody is also going to be a priest, a king, a marketplace apostle, a manager, it is his preparation to his daily office duties that God sees as the ministry to the Lord. Because Bible says in Acts 13, 1, as they ministered to the Lord, the Holy Ghost spoke. So your ministry is in those preparation actions, the morning kneeling down, the devotions, the prayer times. That is how you minister to God as a manager. So as you do all of that in the morning and you get to the office, because you have synced yourself with the Spirit of God, it is easy for you to hear instructions. It's easy for you to hear the, the leadings of the Spirit. But much more, he says, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore for the Lord of harvest that he may send forth rain. He may send forth rain. He may send forth laborers even into the field. He said the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Matthew 9, 36 to 38. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he may send forth laborers into the field. Now the word laborers here in the Greek is the word workaholics. An alcoholic is one consumed with alcohol. A workaholic is one consumed with work. What he's saying here is this, that pray therefore for the Lord to send people consumed with the work of God. 
Bible says, Paul and Silas, these are men that hazarded their lives. Zebulon and Naphtali, Judges chapter 5, these are men that hazarded their lives unto the high places of Jerusalem. They took no spoil for their gain. They fought from Tanakh, and the Bible says they fought from heaven. All the stars in their courses against Sisera. And these are men that hazarded themselves unto the high plains of Jerusalem. And they fought and took no gain for their warfare. You have to understand this reality. After everything Paul went through in 2 Corinthians 11, 21 down to 32, he said, I speak as of the flesh. I speak as a fool in labors often, in journeys often, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of strangers, in perils in the seas, in perils in my own country. He spoke about all the things he went through. He said, five times was I beaten with rods. Forty stripes save one. It says, a night and a day are spent in the deep, in death often, in hunger often, in nakedness, far above measure, in prison frequent. He spoke about all these things and said, oh, I protest at your rejoicing. He said, God is my witness. The blessed God is my witness. Then he says, now beside all these things that cometh upon me, the care of the churches, the care of the churches. Then he said, in the city of the Damascenes, the governor under Aretas was desirous to apprehend me, but I was let down through a window. And he said, I escaped. But you know what? When I read the account, in this is a story that was listed. When you go to the book of Acts, from Acts chapter 10, in actually, Acts chapter 13, right down to Acts chapter 19, we see the entire journeys of Paul. And you'll be shocked. Paul was stoned and Paul was smuggled off in the night because the Jews stoned you to death. The corporal punishment for the Romans was crucifixion. The corporal punishment for the Jews was stoning. So the Jews don't stone to injure you. They stone to kill you. So they stoned Paul and left him for dead. Bible said the disciples snuck in the night to go and steal his body. But at midnight, he arose. He resurrected. He came back to his body. And when he came back to his body, he gained consciousness. And they smuggled him. And the shocking thing was that Paul came back to that same town that stoned him to come and preach the gospel. And I was like, Lord, what can this be? And the Lord said, this is a man who understands that he's a royal priesthood. He's a royal priesthood. It does not come without mention of a certain life of total abandonment to God. We must, have, we must be totally abandoned to God. And he says, be steadfast, being unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We must stop abiding and start abounding. We must stop abi abiding and start abounding. Many Christians are abiding in God. Few are abounding in God. But I pray that the revelation of this truth will come upon us. Much more, we are a holy nation. We are people who are the community of God. When Balaam stood up to prophesy against Israel, when Balaam stood up to prophesy against Israel, it was so amazing in the book of Numbers chapter 23, how that all the times he attempted to curse the nation, he couldn't curse them. Blessings kept coming out of his mouth. Blessings kept coming out of his mouth. And in Numbers 23, the verse number nine, he says, and I read from the King James Version. In Numbers 23, verse number 9, it says that, For from the top of the rocks I see him. From the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone, and it shall not be reckoned among the nations. It means that the Israelites that were in the valley, 
Though they were dwelling alone, Bible says they cannot be reckoned among the nations. They cannot be reckoned or counted as a natural nation that is upon the earth because they are peculiar people. They are pe peculiar nation. They are peculiar people. They are peculiar nation. They are peculiar people. They are peculiar nation. And the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling place of Jacob because glorious things are spoken of us, O city of the living God. We are a peculiar people. We are a holy nation. We are a holy nation. We are a holy nation. We are sanctified by God. We are God's special people. And then lastly, it says we are peculiar people. And the, the word peculiar is the word a people privately owned. The word peculiar is a private owned treasure that is only accessed, enjoyed, experienced by the owner. And remember in Matthew 13, he said, the kingdom of God is likened unto a merchant man that saw a field that was of a pricely pearl, as expensive as a pricely pearl. Now, according to typology, Jesus is the oyster in the sea of humanity. And the church is the pricely pearl. The church is a pricely pearl. Because God is the merchant who finds a field of a pricely pearl. Jesus is the oyster. And if you understand how pearls are made, you have to bruise you have to make an incision. You have to cause a cut in the pearls, uh, what do you call it, the oysters, uh, 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 soft tissue. And it begins to secrete certain luscious fluids that comes around the wound, comes around, and sometimes they even insert some particles. And that, in true, in that um, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, particle that is in, and, in and, and, and a foreign matter that is in the, the, the mouth of the clam or in the mouth of the oyster is automatically coated by a luscious secretion that actually creates the pearl. And Jesus Christ is the, is the oyster. And we, by our sins, prick his side. And when we prick the side, the secretion of water and blood came out and began to roll around us. And we became the precious pearl that God had to spend everything he had to come and purchase. Today, I call us to come to the revelation that we are a treasure. According to 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, for we have this treasure in earthen vessels. For we have this treasure. The word have is ekoma, which means to legally possess. We have this legal possession in earthen vessels. Every nation builds a fortress-like vault around what it owns. It builds a fortress-like vault around what it owns. Israel's treasury was the tabernacle. So that when the book of Nebuchadnezzar broke into their camp, Bible said he entered the tabernacle and rid it of all the gold and all the precious things he had. The pharaohs had their treasury in their pyramids. They put all the nation's wealth there. America has their treasury as the Federal Reserve. All their gold bars and all their wealth is put there. But God, put his treasure in earthen vessels. And the shocking thing about the word earthen vessels is the word ostrakinos. Ostrakinos was actually the word that was used in ancient times, at the time he was writing to the church in Corinthians, as clay pottery or pottery vessels that were actually made from inferior material. They were made from inferior material. And this inferior material 
was so common that the poor man and every man in the society could have it. And that's what the children even used to play at the time. And Bible says that God didn't put his treasure in the best fabric. He put it into weakened fabrics, into common fabrics, into fabric, uh, uh, into clay material that is common and found everywhere. And we, the treasury of God, he put it into earthen vessels. And we became the greatest repository of the power and the presence of God. And when I meditated on this as God's peculiar people, we, you and I, are the treasury of God. He says in Ephesians 1, verse 17 to 19, that I bow, he says, for this cause, I cease not to make mention of you in my prayers unto the Lord, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ may grant unto you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what is his glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints. God is going to inherit something in us because we are God's treasury bill. We are God's treasury bill. No matter how weak we are, no matter how small we are. Of course, Corinth was a pottery, a, 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 a pottery, a potter's city. You know, it was a city that was uh, known for pottery. And he used that uh, allusion that there is Australkinos and the expensive vessels. But he said, God put his treasury in wicking cheap vessels. In other words, everyone that is born again, no matter what you are, God has his treasure in you. And on that day, he's going to inherit it. He said, be patient, therefore, unto the coming of the Lord, who has long patience for the rain. And he says, because the hard man, man has long patience for the rain, that he may receive the precious fruit of the earth unto himself. I want you to understand that we are not mere men. We are solution embodied. We are carrying counsels of eternity. But the secret is this. We must be aware who we are. We must be sure where we've come from. We must know why we are here. And we must understand fully where we are going. Until we come to this revelation, we will not fully work, enact, operate accordingly, according to everything we do. Some years ago, I was lying in my bed praying. And I was feeling tired to pray at dawn. And all of a sudden, I saw an angel right on my roof. As I was praying, I looked to the roof and I saw an angel beginning to write. He said, Adam. And I, I, I often experience, I call them memos from heaven. <laughs> so sometimes from time to time, I'll be praying, God will just send me a memo for a meeting, send me a memo for a person, all those things. So as I was lying on my bed, I just saw it writing on my wall. And I saw the writing, writing. It says, there is a reward for early rising. So I was like, Lord, you know, sometimes I'm tired, I want to sleep. Then I just saw the angel write again. There is a reward for early rising. Brothers and sisters, if we know from whence we are going, Bible says if they knew, if they had been mindful of where they had come from, they would have had opportunity to return. But they sought for a heavenly country, a heavenly city. That's why they now adjudged themselves to be strangers and pilgrims and said to them, he said to them, he said to them, they looked from afar, they were persuaded that they were strangers and pilgrims in this nation. If we see the country that is coming, will be aware that we are strangers and pilgrims. Not that we are not concerned with the affairs of this life, but we are well aware that the affairs of this life is our first most business by which we will exact, enact, and manifest the kingdom to come. But much more, when we are mindful of the country we are going to, Bible says in the book of 1 John chapter 3, that anyone that has this mind in himself purifies himself to be pure, even as he's pure. We stay away from the rubbish, we stay away from contamination, we stay away from gossip, we stay away from strife, we
We stay away from bitterness. We stay away from envy. Oh, we've grieved the Holy Spirit. The bitterness we've kept. The anger we've kept. The frustrations we've kept. We allow the enemy to play us. But from today, we realize where we are going. We realize where we have come from. We stay. Let's just pray right now in the name of Jesus. The Father, tonight, this morning, we want to pray. All of us together want to pray. The Lord, make me understand that I'm not just here for myself. Actually, I'm here for your glory. I'm here for your praise. And I'm here for your service. Most importantly, I'm a chosen generation. You chose me for my times. Much more, I am a royal priesthood. Everything I do, my work, I have God's work as my total agenda. I'm abandoned to your service. Not only so, oh God, I am a holy nation. I am a, he said, you love my dwelling place more than all the dwelling of Jacob. He said, the dwelling of Zion is more precious to God than the dwelling of Jacob. He said, beautiful for situation. Joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the stars. City of the great king. Father, may this reality be upon my head. I'm not just a holy nation. I'm a peculiar people. I am God's treasure. I'm not just going to meet God to give an Account. I am going to present myself as the account. I'm not just going to give God an account for things I did. I'm going to show myself as the account of God. The account of God. I am the treasure bill of God. I am God's I am God's I am God's document of investment upon the earth because I am the personification, the divine agenda. I am a divine agenda, a sporadic missile, divine agenda, an outburst. I'm not a mistake. After what has happened on earth, I have been well spoken of from the foundation of the earth. That's what you pray right now in Jesus' name. Every feeling of frustration, every feeling of disaster, every feeling of failure, every feeling that you were not born well, things went bad in your life. How come your childhood was the way it was? I came to tell somebody, Sister Magento says, divine agenda came to tell you before you were born, he knew you, he knew you, he spoke well of you before you came. Psalm 139, from 14 to 16, he has written all your days in a book. Even you are human being, can keep a diary and kept details about your life before you showed up upon the earth. You had a sporadic outburst of divine agenda. We know nothing more than we are the purpose of God on earth. I come in the image. I am the likeness of much more in the new creation. I have the life. I have the nature of God. I express glory. In this prayer, the 
Thousand of the 
reason oh god will bow our knees to you the god of the heavens and the earth for this reason oh god we bow before you because we recognize that you are not just king but we recognize 
that you are the fullness of all things we recognize that everything oh God consists in you and everything that we are is found in you we recognize that you are the foundation of the world that you are the foundation of our lives we recognize that if you be removed from any man, oh God, he is nothing, he is empty. For this reason, we bow our knees before you. God, our Father, God, our King, God, our Maker. We recognize that Christ, you are our high priest. We recognize that you have set an order and you have set a pattern for us to follow. For this reason, we bow our knees because we understand, oh God, the life we now live, we only Jesus, live it by faith in Jesus. And Jesus is not just our life. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the only truth. Jesus is the compass of our being. Jesus is the fullness. Jesus is the entirety of everything that we do and everything that we are. For this reason, we constantly bow. We bow the knees of our will. We bow the knees of our desire. We bow the knees of our businesses, of our marriages. We bow the knees of our dreams and our visions. Everything that we are bows before you. Yes, Lord. For this reason, we stay bowed. For this reason, we stay bowed. Even when we walk boldly on the earth, but yet our spirits are bowed before you. It is a posture and it is a life. It is a posture, oh God, and it is a life. The life of those who are bowed and surrendered to you. This is who we are. This is who we are. Even when our minds seek to rebel, our spirits, oh God, we stand at attention before you. Even when we are harassed, oh God, yet our spirits will stand at attention before you because this is who we are. We are and have been planted. We are a different stock and we know mm. who we are. Yes. Jesus. Shofatu Bekina. In us there is an eternal cry. Inside of us there is a cry that resounds in all eternity. It is an eternal cry. It is the cry of our spirit. It may come from the head, but it resounds in all eternity. It is the cry of the priest. It is the cry of the kings. It is the cry of those who have been planted. This is who we are. This is who we are. We pray to you, oh God, the rain of conviction, the rain of submission, the rain of prayer, the rain of intercession, the rain of consecration, the rain of circumcision. 
But this day, it is not about what we stand to get. It is not about what we hope to get in this life or in this world. We understand the futility of this age and we recognize that everything that we do in this time is but a seed that we sow to receive a reward in eternity. We recognize, oh God, that everything we do and every moment we have is but an opportunity, oh God, to be planted, to be esteemed and recognized in a time when it truly matters. We recognize, oh God. 
our lives are in service to you. Jesus. This time we pray for the kingdom reign. Mm-hmm. Kingdom reign, we are praying for this is the rain that we are here for. Let it come, let it feel, let it be part of our lives. Let the rain come as a mighty storm. Let it overtake and let it overshadow every part of our being, every part of our lives. In the name of Jesus. This is the rain that we are here for. This is the rain that we are here for. This day, we lay aside every weight that pulls us down, that makes it impossible for us to accelerate and to ascend in the will of God. We pull down those weights, oh God, and we lay them aside. We lay them aside, recognizing that he who we seek to apprehend is greater than anything we are holding on to. We really lay them aside, oh God, that we might apprehend Jesus, that we may lay hold of Christ. For the rain is the revelation of who Jesus Saving of 
the reign of inheritance of the saints of God, the reign that causes the portions of the kings to be given unto them, the reign of inheritance by which the nations are divided and allocated, the reign of the justice of Elohim, according to the will of the Creator and the Messiah, the reign of His the reign of the establishment out of the trenches, out of the places, out of the places, out the places, the kings, Kerana <laughs> Steady Holy Spirit. Yes. Precept upon precept, line upon line. Let it be done. Amen. Let it be done. Amen. Let it be done. Amen. 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 We raise our prayers before you. Yes, Lord. Because we have become everything that we pray for. But because we know 
that you hear us when we pray. Amen. And in your mercy, you have made room for our prayers to be accepted. Amen. Not because we have fulfilled all spiritual obligations. Uh, Not because we know how to navigate through all the delicate require delicate requirements of the spirit. Amen. But because you are merciful. Yes. And because we come in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Receive our prayers. Yes. Receive them, great God. Amen. Yes, Receive them. Amen. Receive yes, them. Lord Jesus. We thank you for the rain. Thank you, Lord. That is released upon us. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank Hallelujah. What a wonderful time. God, we just thank you for grace. Yes. For 21 days of waiting on you. Thank you for yes. grace. Yes. Thank you for grace. Thank you for grace. Ah, thank you, Jesus. Prophet Adam, thank you. <laughs> just always taking the time by the Spirit to just break the word of God <clears throat> like bread. To just break it for us to be fed in our spirit. Yes, Thank God. you. God bless you, my brother. I appreciate you from the depth of my heart. And I'm sure I speak for everybody. You know, God bless you. We love you. We appreciate you. We're grateful Amen. to God for Amen. you, you know, and your willingness to just mm-hmm. always rise up in the morning to just bless Amen. us. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You. Thank you so much. There are people from all over the world, you know, that are always just blessed every time you come up. So thank wow. you. Thank you, my brother. And <clears throat> we look forward to... Anyway, you know how we do our thing, Prophet Eddie. <laughs> so I shall be contacting you very soon. Keep your light, <laughs> your light open for me. Uh, you. 